You're listening to Heart of Mind Radio for the New Millennium. Stay tuned. And 
Welcome. Yes, this is Heart of Mind, Radio for the New Millennium. I'm Catherine Davis, and this program, Heart of Mind, is primarily about spirituality, consciousness, and health, which actually all is bundled into that essence of self-knowing, self-care, and engaging in life in such a way that we can really enjoy that life, be fruitful in life, find meaning in our life. And it's interesting because these are things that would come naturally and not things we would need to seek after had we not had a series of interruptions in the natural development of self and sovereignty. We live in cultures that are organized around the dynamic of control, keeping everyone into one bowl of understanding of belief systems and of interaction across culture. So it becomes a challenge to uncover and rediscover what is really a birthright, what we were born to be, to have, to do. Each of us differently, but we find that our need to survive and thrive in the current conditions of our societies and our world bring a lot of compromise in how we engage and how we think of ourselves and also how we value ourselves as if we have to prove our value not only to the world but to ourselves And the truth is, by being born, we're born into our purpose. Our purpose is to live a life in this realm of existence to the best of our ability, working cooperatively when we can, working as the lone wolf when we can, finding play and enjoyment being able to build and create. So I think part of how I see this journey that I have been on with this program is to uncover, slough off, um, reimagine, get connected through intuition and through basic knowledge that may have been passed down either through my parents, my ancestors, my genetics, through the DNA, and an exploration of different systems of understanding of our reality, our existence, and just learning to navigate and be the best being that we can possibly be. 
So I think, you know, it's important. It's an important journey. Though I must say I am less attached to finding a definitive thing in terms of religion, in terms of philosophy, in terms of whatever uh, dynamic I might experience in navigating my own life conditions. I think that there is a lot of wisdom available and we're each going to resonate more strongly with one or the other of these wisdom teachings. It doesn't make one right or wrong or better or less. And we can begin to approach this, if we don't already, from the vantage point of the inner lens so that we can move forward in our life in a way that is, in the first place, functional and beyond that, enjoyable and meaningful. And beyond that, I see purposeful in terms of having an impact is a thing that we can do in our lives. We don't have to be a preacher or a teacher or a politician or some kind of fundamentalist in terms of the particular spiritual practice that we have chosen, but to be able to, in our everyday life, in our everyday actions, and in our everyday encounters, function from a place that is manifestly true and um, fundamental and connected to whom we are as beings. That being, I speak from the perspective of the inhabitant in our body, the inhabitant in this environment we call the earth realm, an inhabitant in the dynamic of the human collective, that we have a deeper self that is a much more expansive awareness and a much better arbiter of what is true and what is um, good and what is the guidance that we can follow to um, live our lives most honestly and with the best integrity possible. So that's a lot. Um, but that's what I see as this journey, this spiritual journey. Starting out thinking, well, I need to find a language with which I can understand the God personage or the God energy or the God entity or the God ideology. I wanted to understand it better. And then I come to understand that there is really nothing outside of ourselves that is greater than what we can find on the inside of ourselves. And then to come to understand that we are the sovereign interpreters of our life, whatever that design is, whatever that journey is, it is really up to us to make those decisions um, take whatever winding road we may take and 
we have to be able to do that, though, in an environment in which we can honestly um, do that. And part of that honesty, self-honesty, is understanding the, the traps that we have learned to set for ourselves, the guilt, the shame, the um, remorse, um, grief. I mean, all of these things have an impact on our lives. And because we grew up in a society in which there is no real nurturing and cultivating of the inner being, we become unnecessarily distracted into the machinations of the outer world, looking for approval, looking for some sign of success, looking for some reward that we can use to interpret our value to ourselves. And then when we don't find those things or don't manifest those things, we become our own worst enemy because we're using a system of self-judgment that is not designed to actually produce fully realized beings, but is designed to produce something less than that. It might be a design towards creating power, it might be a design towards um, succumbing to certain forces that make us feel less than powerful, that make us feel less than worthy, that put us in a situation where we're working in order to survive rather than working in order to thrive. And I would suggest that despite all this, we can begin to plant within ourselves that seed of blossoming in our life, whatever the conditions are. And we can begin to treat all of these challenges more like fertilizer in the earth. So what do we put in the earth to fertilize the soil? We put the leavings of things. You know, the leftovers of different foods, the husks, the part of the plants that we can't eat or digest, and that will help to fertilize the soils as the soil breaks it down and breaks it down into nutrients, into its constituent parts. And I think that we can regard the, the failures, so-called, and the challenges of our life experience allowing it to be the mulch that we can reuse in a re-understanding, a new understanding and reinterpretation of our life experience. And I think that it takes a certain rhythm of understanding and a willingness to forego what our brain is trained to do or not do for different kinds of systems of being and training and understanding that help that can help us to nourish new seeds to new ways of being fully realized within our life experience. And I'm the first to admit, certainly this is always going to be a work in progress. It's going to be 
and it is flows with a rhythm like everything else has a rhythm. There are going to be peaks and valleys, and the peaks teach us something, the valleys teach us something. Where I've had the most difficulty is that choice point of pulling myself out of those valley experiences where you're you're feeling inundated, where you're feeling as if you're drowning either psychologically, emotionally, or physically due to whatever the conditions are of our life. If you're drowning physically, you might your health might be so deteriorated that you're reliant upon um, some kind of medical care. If it's um, emotional, it might be you're drowning in depression and not knowing and not being able to pull out of that. And if it's psychological, you might be be drowning in this sense of guilt or um, shame or grief, pain that you've experienced and not resolved. So all of these things are in the mix. And it becomes kind of a mission to interpret our lives, but also to be proactive within our life and not um, so much surrender to those things that would bring us, you know, that undertow that occurs within the various facets of our life. It could be the emotional undertow, the physical undertow, the psychological undertow. I haven't really experienced a spiritual undertow, except that these other things have a tendency to cut us off, um, to sort of close the door between what would naturally be that connection to the spirit, to the soul wisdom that is always accessible, but we just are unable to reach it. So it's a it's a mix of things. Anyway, that is my thought for conversation today. Inside my skin There is this space It twists and turns It bleeds and aches Inside my heart There's an empty room It's waiting for lightning It's waiting for you And I am Separate skin 
responding. Ah, I see phones calling. So let's see if we can get a phone call. And I'm just going to bring you right up. Hello, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, good morning. Good morning. How are you? As always, I greatly, greatly appreciate your program, and I greatly appreciate WBAI. Yeah. I want to thank you for your program. Thank you. I was thinking about what you uh, had just said about when you're in that funk groove, as they say, (laughs) and you can't figure out how to get out of it. Um, I I talked to you a little bit about my uh, religious uh, practice, but I am a very illogical thinking person. So um, the thing that I gravitated towards that I, I learned very well is moment-to-moment determination. And if, uh, if one is born with the gift of reason, no matter how challenging the situation appears to be, we can always think of one little thing that we could do the next moment of our existence that can help turn it around. And once um, you make that first cause, it is very fortifying, it's very healing, and it makes you feel a little jubilant that you do have a a choice as to where you are and how you are and what's going on around you. That uh, empowerment is, is you, you just can't buy that. And I think also that even if you're a person who is not born with the gift of reason, that the universe gives you that, that gift as well, that you're able to fortify yourself just a little bit at a time when you most need it, and that you become, you come to understand that it is always there, always, no matter what is happening. You can always create a different reality for yourself one moment at a time. Yeah, and I congratulate myself when I do that. Um, when I first started practicing and started thinking in that way, um, right away I got such a great relief, you know, mm. from what I was seeing in the environment because for me it was toppling me, to be quite honest with you, because I, I didn't have any feeling of real empowerment. But I learned about uh, empowerment in that way. And, it, and, it, and it's your empowerment. It's not somebody that's giving it to you. It's not contingent on anything except whether you're willing to make the cause. Mm. So Thank you. I'm going to get off that's, of it. Everybody that's wonderful, and I congratulate you for that because that's a really important lesson that you're sharing yeah, with it's folks. It's a great gift. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take another call. Hello, you're on the air. Hi. Um, am I next? Am I on? Yes, you are. Um, I want to thank you, Catherine Davis, for the depth, the beauty, the compassion, the vision that you give so fully, particularly today, and also the gift of the person speaking right before you. I'm driving on my way, on my way to work, and WBAI is a jewel, and you are one of its most precious gems. Um, I thank, thank you, you for your... Um, Openness, your understanding, your willingness to um, to let all that comes to you come through you to us, and, and even when you are um, doing fundraising like with Gary Noel and such, I, I feel um, your spirit shining through, and so I thank you enormously. Oh, thank you so much. 
That is Thank very, you. very kind. Thank you. For your being and, and for your opening all of us to let our being shine through. Excellent. And you're, and you're shining as well. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, you're on the air. Hi there. Uh, thank you for allowing me to speak. You know, each day... If you can, could you speak a little up so we can okay, hear you? can you hear me better? Oh, yeah, that's much better. Okay. Each uh, Thank you for allowing me to speak. And each time that I've had the opportunity to speak to you, uh, it's rewarding. Now... Each day I feel that there are some who your fortitude to stand or try to understand certain things, events that happen, you know, you grow with each experience. And I'd like to share just one thing that happened to me a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Public transportation. Bus. Now, there's a section for the seniors, and there's, you know, of course, a section for everybody else, seniors and wheelchair-bound. And this young lady got on the bus. She had two small children with her, and uh, one had a pacifier, could have been two years old, going on three uh, the other was school age because they had a nap, uh, what do you call it, a book bag on their back. She got on, she went into the book bag, got out the young boy's uh, pass and showed it to the bus driver and pushed him forward, which she went to a seat. Uh, the bus driver looked at her, she looked at him, and uh, then she pushed her daughter on to get a seat. Then she walked through. So the bus driver beckoned to her to come back and to pay. And she said uh, that she does not speak English. And uh, I found it, you know, interesting in this sense. She got on the bus, put two children on. She didn't pay a fare, but she knew she had to get a bus pass. That was uh, the first flag that went up. Now, uh, she, uh, she sat her children down. She sat down in a chair. Bus is filling up. An elder gets on, an old lady with a cane. And uh, I, <laughs> being who I am, and I just said, Ma'am, uh, I beckoned to her, put your daughter in your lap and let the elder sit down. She looked at me, and I guess she got the gist of the situation. She allowed, uh, allowed her daughter, or put her daughter on her lap. Moving on, the young boy wants candy, and he speaks to her. I think she's from Ukraine, or Ukrainian, and uh, uh, he wants this candy. She speaks back to him. She uh, gives him the candy. He's eating. He wants to give it to his sister, so back and forth, back and forth. Meanwhile, he gets up and he's playing back and forth with the seats, uh, uh, musical chairs somewhat. And another lady gets on and she takes, 
she stands up and she looks at him going back and forth. And I said, sit down. She sat down. The mother looks at me. And I look at her. And I say to her, this is an elder. Respect. No speak English, no speak English. I said, you understand one thing, respect. She could have gotten up and given her son and her daughter one chair. And she could have held on to the strap above them. But she acted and played that don't speak English. Another young man gets on and uh, not, not uh, saying any disparaging remarks or anything, but he was a homosexual. His mannerism gave him away one, two, three. And he pulls out his cell phone and he's on his cell phone and uh, the lady, she is trying to gesture and she starts speaking in her language, in her tongue. And he says, oh, we're all the same. We're all the same. And this is, a, this is a lovely story, um, but I'm wondering if you could bring us oh, yeah, to your point. Yeah. Okay. The point is this. I thought and I said to myself, I don't care where you come from. You respect the elders and you try to do your best and it's just common sense not to, treat, not to take up three seats and you're not paying for one. And then I thought, Am I right or am I wrong? Was I wrong to tell the young, uh, the elder person, uh, you know, to sit down? Was I wrong to tell the young lady who got on and, and uh, sat in the musical chair of the young man to sit down? She picked him up and held him on her lap. And he was still playing music, musical chair with her lap and going back and forth to his mother and being very nasty at it. So my question is this, and I'm still trying to figure this out. Where's the humanity? Where's the wrong? Where's the right? Or is there a wrong or right in a situation like this? What are we to gain? Because every day that we exist, we learn something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what would, what would the proper or the right thing to do? Are you asking me? I'm asking anyone who mm -hmm. is uh, in hearing range. Okay. Of you, of course, because I find that you are very, very um, sensible and you give, uh, your comments are quite unique and uh, very wholesome. Okay. So I'll give you my take and then we have to go to our next caller, okay? Beautiful. Um, my sense and the way I understand is that if you, if you, Think of a cell, you know, a cell that makes up tissue in the body. There's a nucleus at the center of it. I think of every person as being like that. You are the nucleus, and the cell is your reality. So your reality is based on your frame of understanding. And there's no reason to think that anyone we might encounter shares your specific reality. Everyone has a different reality, their own sense of understanding. And then we kind of mingle with each other in these experiences. So I would take it for what it is. You acted according to your integrity, and that was a beautiful thing to do. 
and the other people you encountered were acting according to their integrity. Whether or not you judge that as good or bad is kind of immaterial because it's their reality, not yours. So I would just walk away from that thinking how interesting that is. And then, you know, we could extrapolate on it and say who's right, who's wrong, who's good, who's bad, whatever. But I think we can take a step back and just understand that people come from different frame of understanding. So when I think of the woman from Ukraine, understand that some immigrants who come into this country are given a highly preferential status. So when the Ukrainians come into the country, they're given support. They're given health care. They're given, you know, place to live. They're given transportation in some cases because it represents something that's co consistent with U.S. foreign policy. So she's going to come into the situation with a certain amount of assumption, about what's allowable for her to do because she's been given special treatment. Another immigrant person might have a different level of treatment and is maybe afraid to be, to be um, recognized and may have a different kind of behavior because they're more concerned about having some, somebody called on them and they're being deported. So they're going to have a different kind of behavior. Then someone's going to come in uh, into your experience that may be very open-hearted and magnanimous. We're all the same. I love everybody. And somebody else is going to come into your environment. We're going to think, oh, well, I'm actually more smart and more capable and better than everybody else here. And so everybody should give deference to me. So we're going to see all this stuff. And so my sense of all that is these are other people's realities that have nothing to do with me. I operate according to my integrity. And when there's an interface, I continue to operate according to my integrity. Maybe the person will learn something. Maybe they won't. Maybe I'll learn something from them. Maybe I won't. But it's immaterial. It's just two ships passing in the night. That's how I deal with it. It's beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. That's why I enjoy your show. All right, thank you. Let's go to our next caller. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, it's Russ, and that is why I'm a member of the Friends of Kitty Committee. And the fact that Elle questions herself, that's the best starting point. You know, and I want to stay in good standing in the Kitty Committee. Some may think it's a cult, but I know that dissent is tolerated by you. And you're, creating a different reality for yourself is different than creating a different reality for everybody else, and I think that's what's going on with cancel culture. There's a fascism um, among us that's trying to create realities that all of us have to follow. But I have two questions for you. In, in inflection points being reached, I think if you look at the, the front page of the New York Times, it says Biden's building a wall, maybe we should stop these Ukraines, and expanding deficits are creating problems for American United States citizens. So I want to ask you a question. Do you, Catherine, do you think what's going on in Congress is cathartic? And the second thing is, do you think Trump really represents a third party that's being forged? And I'll listen to your answer, Catherine. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Um, I do think we're at a, um, a sea change point, but we're at the very infancy stage of it. So it might be some time for us to begin to recognize a transformation. 
but it has a lot to do with each of us individually, in my opinion, that um, we have to be able to challenge within ourselves the the programming and the desire to control our thoughts and actions at the same time that we're not judging other people who are still controlled. I find that extroversion or that pushing out of our discontent doesn't help the situation. And that even starts with the cancel culture. That cancel culture arose in an environment of condemnation of the other. It arose in an environment of um, being willing to judge another, being willing to feel somehow more coherent in our own thinking processes. So I, I, I think that we, are, we got into this situation in a continuum, and we're going to get out of it into a continuum. In terms of my own political point of view, I think we need to stop looking for saviors of any kind. So Trump has his good points and his bad points. Biden has his good points and his bad points. I might feel differently about what they are. So my personal political position is that I've sworn off all parties. I think they're all full of nonsense. Um and they're all about manipulation and power and not about the well-being of humanity or the citizens of a particular country, county, state, city. Nobody cares about us. People in power don't care about us. That's my conclusion. So my answer to that is we have to care about ourselves and we have to care about each other and we have to, in some ways, not feed into that tendency to pull somebody down because we disagree with them or even because they've done wrong or because they're evil or whatever it is that we see in another human being, it's not helpful to create a dynamic of chaos or um, conflict around it. We have to stop engaging in it to some degree and let it fade and further engage in our own empowerment and our own understanding and our own compassion and make that count in little ways so that if we disagree with something, we don't try to destroy them, that we go into a rational phase. I'm not saying that you will impact that person necessarily, but we impact the environment in which we live. We impact the the oxygen that we breathe by not engaging in activities that are going to poison the very water, oxygen um, environment in terms of our psyche and emotional state. We're poisoning that environment when we engage in those behaviors. So that's how I would respond to that by saying, no, let's not attack a person because we disagree Let's articulate our own point of view in a way that is not toxic so that other people who are looking for that and are longing for that have some common bond 
And so that the bond is not so much that you agree on a particular issue. You could have completely different opposing opinions of something or beliefs in something, but the way you engage is in a way that is not toxic to the whole. So that's what I would think of in that regard. So let's go to our next caller. Thank you for that call. Hello, you're live on the air. Okay, so we lost that next caller. If you, we have a few minutes left. If you want to call and give your thoughts in this conversation, I'm going to, uh, I think, play a piece of music for you in the interim. Americans brings you to one trillion dollars. 
that's okay. I'm just bringing it down for a second, and then we'll come back. Hello, you're back. So, so um, you have nine people with a $1 trillion net worth. In New York City, there are 100 billionaires. So, and I think this morning um, on Beyond the Pale, they mentioned that the city used to handle somewhere in the neighborhood of um, 100,000 immigrants a day. And so what I'd like people to look at is rather than focusing on what they've created, which they may or may not, they may or may refrain from owning, um, really listen and think very deeply about if you're unsatisfied, what is required for you to make the change so that you can feel safe and satisfied, and then see if you're willing to get support to do that. The the other thing that I'd like people to consider is if you would uh, go to register at goodsearch.org, um, we could raise a lot of money for WBAI. This year alone, I've raised over $50 in search alone. Now, if you go to goodshop.com, you can get a percentage of your online shopping dedicated to BAI or any other nonprofit of your choice. And what I'm looking to do is to reach out to all nonprofits and ask them to support one another through a um, through a platform such as Good Search and Good uh, Good Shop, so that it would, if a um, if a nonprofit needed ten thousand dollars, it would only take one million of us doing one search in order to get to ten thousand dollars. So one, we need to increase listenership. I want everybody to send this program to a person that they love. And, and uh, I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to like to get in one more call. Okay. Prosper. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's go to our next caller. We just have a few minutes. Hello, you're on the air. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Yeah, I just wanted to give you so much props for the way you answered the first two calls. Thank you. L. Ellis' call and um, uh, Ross's call. I guess say you put an intellectual high for the morning. Oh, thank you. I, yeah, you've kind of given me an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, sometimes you're so wise, it's like, you know, we have our own Delphi. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you. Yeah, yeah and as far as um, uh, Good Search, uh, down with McPherson, um, he was referring to um, you know what they were saying about on Beyond the Pale about the city accepting 100,000 immigrants. Mm-hmm. I just want to remind him that was more than 150 years ago. The city is not no longer the same. There's, there's no you know there's no way we can accept or you know receive that many immigrants at this point in time. So things are different. Uh, yeah, but it's it's. It's easy to say, but I think at this point they're here. 
back yeah, but back then we didn't have so there needs to be um perhaps a more dynamic conversation about how to cope because think also from the perspective that they're also coping. I'm pretty sure that whatever motivated to come here or be brought here. Um, yeah, whatever I mean, the case may be, there there are real issues yeah. that are de- being dealt with in these other countries. So part of the answer has to be, what is our government doing in these nations that would cause them to want to flee is part of what I'm looking at. So I think well, the, the conversation needs to be much more expansive. And also... Obviously, they've come from failed states. They've come from failed states. And partially, it's, it's part, part of the problem is how the U.S. has dealt with their country, and the other part is how their own people have misgoverned their country. Well, there, I'm sure that there's a lot of truth to what you're saying, but we need, you know, things have a history, and we need to, as we're looking, because there, if we don't do that, we won't have a real solution. If we continue to have one arm of our government fostering conditions that make people desperate, the immigration crisis will never end. So we have to deal with the root cause as well as deal with the symptom simultaneously to come to a real-life solution. And I am personally not in favor of condemning the people who are in this position for whatever reason when there are so many factors at play And I think that no real solution will work unless it, one, includes the reason for them leaving, but also the solution has to include the people here who have no place to go, who are homeless, who are starving, who are not having access to health care. So we need to have and begin to foster a system of understanding and a body politic that understands the fundamental humanity of all human beings, and let's stop ping-ponging people between political positions. And I think that if we begin to infuse our thoughts and and decisions with a level of reality, then maybe we can find solutions that don't condemn a whole group of people. Anyway, that's that's my perspective. Yeah, it's just that... um you know, we may be in danger of uh, becoming a, you know, with all these people seeking asylum, we may, um, the whole place may become a, a, a mental asylum after a while. Well, I would argue that it already is. <laughs> <laughs> I really okay. would. Okay, thank you, my call. thank you so much Thanks for calling. Call. Mm-hmm. No Bye problem. Bye. Yeah, I do have a tendency to have um, my own views. What can I say? I want to thank you for joining uh, this program. All the callers were wonderful. It's so much, such so much fun to to interact with all of you because you're all smart and you have your own perspective and you understand. You bring wisdom to the table, and that's the real way to go forward: is to understand we all have something to offer and to at least listen back and forth to what that is. See what we can gain from it. See what we can build from it, and have a future that can be meaningful for all of us despite whatever position we may find ourselves in the hierarchy of society 
power, and economics. We're all human beings. Thank you for joining us. I'll play out a little music. Stay tuned. There we 